Morning, church. As was said, I'm Justin Kineshoff, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an elder here at Discovery for the past five years. Uh, married to my beautiful bride, Kayla, for the years, well, going on five years. Um, and uh, it is my distinct pleasure to be able to share with you God's word this morning and really share the message that he has laid upon my heart. Uh, but before we really get into it, I want to take this time before the Lord, offer it to him, uh, and uh, offer our hearts. Father God, uh, thank you so much for just a visible um, remembering of uh, your faithfulness, God. Thank you so much for GR, God, and uh, just bringing him upon this team. God, I know that uh, you will do great things through him, God, in this church. I thank you for his heart of faithfulness, God, that he and Katie have shown over the years, and I just pray for blessings over his family. God, I pray for this message that, uh, that you have brought uh, through me to your people. God, I pray that our hearts uh, may be softened to your word, God, to your truth. God, I pray at the end of this message that no one may remember me, God, but everyone may remember you. God, I pray that your word may stand true. God, protect me from error this morning. It's in Christ's holy name that we pray. Amen. We have been in a series on confidence for the past several weeks. Kevin Miller opened this up by talking about how confidence has nothing to do with this and everything to do with Jesus Christ. Everything to do that Jesus Christ has died on the cross for our sins, that we, that we may approach our almighty God, creator of the universe, with a confidence knowing that we have been reconciled and redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. We learn that confidence has nothing to do with what we think we may be good at. It has nothing to do with our strength, but everything to do with Jesus Christ. This morning, I get to share a topic uh, that's very dear to my heart. One, because uh, it's one that I have struggled with quite greatly uh, in my life, and that's called joy-filled giving. And yes, I did use the word joy and giving in the same sentence because I believe that Scripture tells us that when we give of our full selves everything that we have, we will experience joy. A couple weeks ago, Jeremy Mahan uh, preached a sermon on joy. Highly, highly encourage you to go read that. It is a phenomenal message. We are incredibly blessed, church, to have a man like Jeremy Mahan on staff. A man like Jeremy Mahan who leads our youth so faithfully. We are incredibly blessed. And he is a very humble uh, sermon giver, and I highly encourage you to give, give that a... You can see it on our app or, uh, or on our website. But this morning, I wanted to break down joy just a little bit more to make sure that we fully understand what it is uh, and what it is not. Uh, contrary to what Facebook, Pinterest, popular culture say, we cannot choose to be joyful. We cannot choose to be joyful in our own strength. Joy is only produced through seeking Jesus Christ with our whole heart. It is only produced by the Holy Spirit. It is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Joy defies circumstances. Give you a short example. Two weeks ago, I gave my two weeks notice at the job that I've been at for about 10 years. I developed a lot of relationships there, um, and uh, it was, it was Friday was my last day there, so it was, it was 
a lot of mixed emotions. But a couple of days after I gave my notice, I started feeling this guilt because I knew, I knew that, uh, that I would miss them. I knew that I was somewhat putting them in a hard spot. Um, but as I was, I was praying to the Lord, I, I offered it to him. And I said, Lord, I know this isn't really from you. Would you please take this from me? Would you please take this from me? I offered it to him. And then all of a sudden, I felt this overwhelming sense of peace just kind of wash over me as the Lord took that away. And then I started just kind of laughing. I just started laughing. I don't know if it's really ever happened to you before, but I felt this overwhelming sense of peace and I just started laughing. It defies circumstances. That was joy given by the Holy Spirit as I spent time in the presence of the Lord offering to him what I had to give. This morning, we're going to be in Matthew 19. If you don't have a Bible, I highly encourage you to raise your hand up real high. One of our lovely God-given servants would love to give you a Bible. If you don't have a Bible at home, you can take it with you. We want everyone to have the Word of God. If you don't want that, you can bring it up on our app and read it there. We're going to be in Matthew 19, starting in verse 16. It's also going to be up on the screen. And it starts... And behold, a man came up to him, Jesus, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to Jesus, All these I have kept, what still do I lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. If Jesus came to us this morning and asked us to give away what we had to the poor, if you were like me, you'd start thinking of things that you have extra of. Well, I don't really need that extra pair of shoes. They don't really fit me anyway. Or I don't really need those bunch of clothes that I haven't worn in two years, so I'll give those away to the poor. But what if Jesus came to you this morning and said, I want you to give absolutely everything that you have to the Lord, or to the poor. If you're like me, you'd start probably to feel a little anxious. Well, Lord, how am I going to get to work if I don't have a car? Because that's, that's included in everything. How am I going to store the food that I have if I don't have a refrigerator? Because that's part of everything. I can't just leave meat out on the counter. I mean, is Jesus really asking all of us to give away everything that we have to the poor? I don't think so. While he may ask some of us to do that, he's not asking all of us to do that. And the reason that he said this to that young man was because that he knew something that young man did not. And he knew that that man's wealth was his hidden idol. This man was very proud of the wealth that he had accumulated. 
And I think for many of us, our money, our possessions, and our time are our hidden idols. Randy Alcorn, pastor and author, says, If Christ is not Lord over our money and possessions, and I would add our time, then he is not our Lord. If Christ is not Lord over our money and possessions, then he is not our Lord. I've struggled with this, church. Last summer I gave a sermon on on giving. Uh, You can look it up. It's on generosity. Um, But I had accumulated, when I was younger, a lot of personal debt, credit card debt. Stuff that I don't even know if I really have anymore. Not even any education, something that is worthwhile, but just stuff. And while God has freed me from that slavery, while he has redeemed my view of money possessions, it's still really easy for me to fall back into old habits. It's really easy for me to forget that God is the true owner and provider of everything that I have. It's really easy for me to forget that he has given it to me as a steward, which simply means that I acknowledge him as the owner and provider of everything, and that I use it to be his, or I use it for his glory. Psalm 24, verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell within. God owns it all. It's all his. And as part of that, he's asked us to give 10% back to him, a tithe. And for a lot of us, we might think, well, that's Old Testament. That's, that's Old Testament law. We're under the New Testament. We don't, we don't need to do that. But in the beginning, a tithe was not a requirement. It was not part of the law. In Genesis 28, Jacob had a vision, and he said, Lord, if you will be with me, if you will provide for me for what I need, I will give you a full tenth of everything that you have given me. We see here that Jacob saw it not as a requirement. The Lord never told him that he had to do that. But he wanted to acknowledge to the Lord that honor, that gratitude that the Lord has provided him so much. It is a principle of acknowledging to our God that he is the provider and owner of everything. And I want to clarify a little bit what I mean by God's provision. Basically, it's anything that God has given you to survive. Everything that God has given you to live off of. I want to speak directly to college students for a second. God has provided you the means not only to receive an education, but also the means to live, to have food, to pay rent. It could be money received from parents. It could be from student loans. It could be a part-time job. But he has provided for you. And I would challenge you to take that before the Lord and ask him, Lord, How can I most glorify you with what you have provided for me? 
I think for us to simply say that we don't have enough to give is more a reflection of our heart than of the amount that the Lord has provided us. You see, when we forget that everything is God's, we can start to become complacent with what we do have. We start to think that everything that I have, I have because I have worked for it. I have earned this. I have earned this money. I will use it as I see fit because I worked hard for it. Complacency grows. It is like a fuel. It is like a a feed for the fire that is idols. When we forget who is really the provider of everything, we think that we have it and we earned it. A.W. Tozer says, complacency is a deadly foe to all spiritual growth. When we don't continually declare and acknowledge that everything that we own is God's, then we are just feeding that fire of complacency. We must continue to acknowledge and declare that it is the Lord's. Randy Alcorn says that none of us can enthrone the true God unless we dethrone our other gods. None of us can enthrone the true God unless we dethrone our other gods. And we have to get serious. We have to get serious about dethroning our idols, church. We have to get serious. If we don't, then we will not experience the fullness of God. We will not experience the fullness of God. But I want to talk a little bit about what the fullness of God is. Last series, we were in the book of Ephesians. Love the book of Ephesians. If you haven't heard it, go listen to it. It is probably one of my favorite sermons series that we have done in fact, I am still in the book of Ephesians in my personal quiet times because it is so rich of life-giving. But I want to talk specifically this morning about Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 19, which say, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Hmm. I could talk for a long time on this passage, but I really want to talk about two main things. The first thing that really jumps out at me is that we are to be strengthened with power through his spirit, through the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit, church. Before Jesus began his ministry, he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. Luke 4 talks about Jesus being full of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. Church, are we so foolish 
to think that we do not need the power of the Holy Spirit when Jesus himself, God, member of the Trinity, needed the Holy Spirit to make it through unscathed. We must get serious about praying for the Holy Spirit, church. We need the power of the Holy Spirit if we are to make it through one day, one hour, one second of our lives unscathed. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. May we pray to our God and Father for the power of the Holy Spirit within us. The second thing I noticed is that it says that we are to be rooted and grounded in love. That we are to be rooted and grounded in the person Jesus Christ. We need to be rooted and grounded. One of my favorite metaphors throughout the Bible is that it talks about the people of God being like trees that are planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, that its leaf does not wither, and that all he does, he prospers. Psalm 1. Jeremiah 17 talks about the same thing. John 15 talks about the same thing. We must be like trees that are planted so deeply, so widely, our roots must be so deep and wide into the person of Jesus Christ that no matter what happens above the surface, we will not be shaken. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to be rooted in Jesus Christ. We alone cannot dethrone our idols. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. It is only through the power of the Holy Spirit that you will get rid of your idols. It is only through the power of the Holy Spirit that you will remember that it is God and God alone that will be enough for you. Going back to Matthew 19, continuing in verse 23, It says, And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to remind us. And it's so easy to forget, church. It's so easy to forget that God is enough for us. We are 100% prone, 100% prone to wanting more. Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, surrounded by perfection, with the very presence of the Lord. And yet Satan was able to convince Eve that she needed more. We need the presence of the Lord. We need to be in the presence of the Lord. We need to be in the Word of God to know what it says, to be able to withstand temptation, to be able to withstand lies by the evil one. We must be rooted and grounded. And as we stand, as we stand in the presence of the Lord, he reveals where our priorities are. Are Our natural-born priorities are in direct opposition to the Lord's will, to the Lord's way. 
And as we come to know him, he calls us to repent of our old ways, to turn our ways and acknowledge, Lord, where I have been leads to death, but I want to follow your way, Lord. It is a complete changing of direction. And as we give the Lord of our whole selves, he starts working in our hearts. He reveals these hidden idols. He rids our hearts of these hidden idols. And he starts to give us that desire to give. We start to desire to give more and more of ourselves, more and more of what he has given us for him. And as we do that, as we give faithfully to the Lord, we experience even more joy. Even more joy because we are confident that what we are doing is glorifying God. And we get to experience that with him. We have the opportunity to partner in what the Lord is doing and how he is working. The disciples in the early church got to see the church grow. Scripture says that they saw thousands come to Christ daily. They got to experience that. In my time here as an elder, I have gotten to experience the faithfulness of God. There have been highs, there's been lows, but through it all, God has been faithful. And I look out at all of you, there's people I know, people I don't know, but each and every one of you is a reminder of God's faithfulness. Church, you have no idea how incredibly loved you are by your Heavenly Father. No idea, you will never know. He has gifted you so uniquely, so uniquely. There is not another person in this world who is exactly like you. And each and every single one of you has a place to serve in the body of Christ that no one else can fill, that no one else can fill. And right now, there are holes in that body, Lord, because you have not offered yourself to the Lord. Many of you have not come before the Lord and asked him, Lord, what have you gifted me in? How can I best serve you with everything that I have, Lord? And I beg of you, it is so easy, so easy to do that. Just go before the Lord and say, Lord, how have you gifted me? What is that place, Lord, that you have created especially for me that no one else can fill, Lord? I know that I am broken. I, uh, I know that I have sinned, Lord, but I know that you are good, and I know that you have created a place just for me. Show me what that is, Lord. That's all you have to do. And just pray earnestly with a true heart, and he will reveal that for you. I want to bring up um, Katie Thompson. She is a, uh, as you saw earlier, she is now a wife of an elder. She can I get a round of applause for Katie, please? And uh, she has served faithfully here for many years. And some of you may say, well, of course she served faithfully. She's a, she's a leader. But I would say that she's served faithfully because she loves the Lord. So this morning I wanted to uh, ask you a couple questions to uh, just allow the church to hear some of your heart. Katie, can you talk about what experiences in the scriptures have shaped your views on giving both financially and in service? Uh, 
the opportunity to share. Hopefully you can hear me. Oh, oh hold on, hold on. Looks like it's dead. Better? So GR and I have both have a legacy of generosity in our families. Both sets of parents were hospitable, kind, open-handed with our family and outsiders. It was really remarkable to grow up with a mother who baked homemade bread every single week and shared loaves with neighbors, teachers, garbage collectors, postal carriers, literally every week. It was really, really a remarkable experience for both my parents. And then my, um, my in-laws were devoted to their parents and family members in a way that really stood as witness to both GR and I as we were being raised. Um, early in our marriage, we really struggled to respond to the Lord in our giving. We wanted to be faithful to give to our local church. But these were seasons of limitation, great limitation in energy, time, and income. We really wanted to believe Luke 16 that, you know, if we're faithful in a little thing, he'll put it, he'll make us faithful in other bigger things. But we struggled to, to see what that would look like. Um, we run a strict budget. We struggled to give right away. If we didn't give right away out of that paycheck deposited, it would be spent quickly. Mm. Um, but in his winsome way, we really grew to know him as the great benefactor because he outgave us time and time again outgave us. Doesn't he do that? Yeah, he does that. Um, he did some really shocking things. He provided for us to start paying off our education debt, even while in training, which is really unheard of. Um, and he gave us resources to give to family members that were in crisis and, and that we didn't foresee. Um, many of our blessings were not monetary, right? We had deep fellowship in our local church, we had his comfort in seasons of real desperation. These were really rich rewards from trying to give faithfully. And we gave imperfectly, church. We really allowed busyness to rob us of thoughtfulness in our giving. Um, and we kind of clung to some things we thought were necessities in our lifestyle. Okay. Um, and so he was so merciful in continuing and still continuing to walk us through that, that process of learning to develop muscles, right, of giving. Um, 2 Corinthians 9 was particularly meaningful to us. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. And you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God was particularly meaningful hmm. to us. Thank you, Kitty. How have you experienced joy through your long-term faithfulness? Oh, that's a great question. Both GR and I work in a secular world. We're really untrained in evangelism and in church leadership, but we've enjoyed partnership in the gospel through our giving. We've traveled in spirit to Congo, Senegal, China, Macedonia, UC dorms. <laughs> um, 
just in our giving, right, and our eagerness for others to hear the best story that's ever been told. And we've never felt distant or unimportant in that work. And I really credit the Lord with that, giving us a freedom to give. Um, outside of our regular giving, he's really, we've had some really funny surprises. Like I'll get a bonus that I just didn't see coming, or GR will get paid for something months after the fact. And those have been really, um, really remarkably God-given in such a way that we knew right away that that had to leave our hands. Um, so we had some really special date nights kind of chatting about, well, where, where could this go? This would be really fun to give away. And um, so those have been, those really have produced some shared joy and mission in our marriage. I'm really grateful for that. And one of the, the deepest joys we've known is to witness just the sheer joy in our children when, when they get the opportunity to give. We've really celebrated those moments in our house as a response to, uh, to the Holy Spirit's promptings that brings joy when our kids obey. And so I remember witnessing Elise when she was seven years old, scrape together $7 of quarters and pennies in a Ziploc bag to give to Pastor John when his car broke down. And I'll never forget her beaming on the way to work with her Ziploc bag. And she had so much joy in that giving. And then um, Finley, who at the age of six was our little hoarder. <laughs> he was. And he observed his little sister dreaming about a Barbie car. And in uncharacteristic beneficence, he said, Hey, Gwen, how about we go to Target? And you can go shopping with the $26 I've saved for months. Mm. That's big. <laughs> it was big for him. Um, I'll never forget watching him stand in that aisle, that pink Barbie aisle, and, and he, with his four-year-old sister, and he threw up his arms and he said, what do you want, Gwen? You've got $26 to spend. I'll never forget that. And you know that joy that he had? It's never going to be matched by a Lego set, right? <laughs> never going to be matched. So we really celebrate those moments. That moment really still is commemorated mm -hmm. in our family. So that that's was, so good. That's joyful. That is, that that is joyful. joy. What are some ways that you have experienced God's faithfulness mm -hmm. through your giving? Yeah. God has been so faithful to us, church, right? He's been so faithful to us. That's the only story worth telling today. It really mm -hmm. is. I want you to know on my part, there have been a lot of missed opportunities, um, a lot of short-sightedness, I want you to know that the Lord is working in us with far greater patience than I deserve. Um, he has a great work yet to do to detach me from my, the pleasures of this world and to make me long for his kingdom work. And to be honest, I shared with a friend of mine that I feel really sheepish getting up before you talking about my giving because the only great story is his giving, right? Um, it seems a little silly and presumptuous for me to talk about my giving alongside his economy of kindness. So as, re, as we respond to his unmatched generosity, we, re, we, we reap the far richer blessings of confidence and joy in his work and in his ways. Um, we have grown in confidence that God hears our prayers for our children's faith, for purpose and boldness in our work, for fruitful service, for protection from error, We've seen the Lord do that, and um, we really believe with Hebrews 11 that he rewards the seeker. He, reward, he rewards those who seek him, and plainly speaking, anything we give is a request for more of him. 
That's what we're trying to say, Lord. We want more of you. Um, we're operating out of confidence in that reward, not in the reward of financial prosperity, but in the reward of knowing him more, the riches of grace and mercy that are at his right hand. So it just reminds me again of the Second Corinthians passage. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Thank you, Kitty. Church, as we, as we close this morning, um, I just want to remind us, let's, let's not keep hiding parts of ourselves from God. Let's not keep hiding parts from ourselves from God. Let us pursue the fullness of God's presence with all strength and perseverance. Let us pray earnestly to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives because we cannot do this without it. We cannot do this. Church, I want you to bow your heads with me. I'm actually going to pray some scripture over you this morning. It's from Hebrews. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Father, I pray that these words may sink so deeply into our heart, God, that we may be able to experience the fullness of God this morning, that we may pray so earnestly for the Holy Spirit's presence, for the power of the Holy Spirit to help us outlast temptation today, Lord. May we pursue you with vigor, Lord, and passion, and may you make our roots so deep and so wide into the very person of Jesus Christ that no matter what happens, we will not be shaken. It's in Christ's holy name that we pray. Amen.